And now Ashley's silly comment to be <laughs> Well, today, as you may have gathered, because I asked you to look at the book of Acts, we are continuing with our series on Acts, which is going on all the way till Christmas. And who can tell me what it is about Acts that we're particularly focusing on? Is it being rooted in the community? That's one of the bits, yes. Spirit and word. Yes, that's it. So, today we're going to be looking at how being rooted in spirit, word and community help us to embrace and in fact celebrate diversity both amongst those who are members of God's family but also diversity amongst those who are potentially going to be members of his family as well. So today we're going to be looking at Acts 10 which I've just asked you to open up in your Bibles which is all about the Apostle of Peter, the Apostle Peter, not Apostle of Peter, <laughs> and a man called Cornelius. So, um, would anyone like to read Acts 10, verses 1 to 8 for me, Charlotte? At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, an officer in the Italian group of the Roman army. Cornelius was a religious man. He and all the other people who lived in his house worshipped the true God. He gave much of his money to the poor and prayed often and prayed to God often. One afternoon at about three o'clock, Cornelius clearly saw a vision. An angel of God came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at the angel. He became afraid and said, What do you want, Lord? The angel said, God has heard your prayers. He has seen that you give to the poor, and he remembers you. Send some men now to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a man, also named Simon, who is a leather worker and has a house beside the sea. When the angel who spoke to Cornelius left, Cornelius called two of his servants and a soldier, a religious man. ask you a question. Based on what Charlotte just read, do you think that Cornelius was a Jew? No. Why is because, that? Because um, I, I imagine not a lot of people in the, yeah, in the armed military or the Roman army would have been Jews at that point because mm. they were like persecuted and stuff, I imagine. I don't know if that's yes, that's a good guess. Okay then, do you think that he was a Christian? Yes. Why do you think he was a Christian? Um, because it, does it, doesn't it say he prayed regularly to God? It does say that, yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so I'm going to talk a bit later, more later about whether Christian, whether Cornelius was a Christian, but as we see when he, we read on, he had clearly heard about Jesus, but that's not necessarily the same thing as putting your faith in him, is it? So, as Calvin's just mentioned, um, Cornelius did actually worship God. Does that make him a Christian or a Jew? Well, not necessarily, because, um, as Nathan just said, he came from the Roman army, 
a regiment that came from Italy, apparently, and he had a rather Roman name as well, which is nothing like Simon or David or other uh, famous Jewish names. So we can fairly safely say at this point that Cornelius was not a Jew, and I'm going to stick my neck out and say that he wasn't a Christian yet. In fact, he was what was known at the time as a God-fearing Gentile, someone who worshipped God but was not a Jew and didn't follow the Jewish customs. But why am I making such a big fuss about this and making such a big point of it? Well, it's because this story is really the beginning of the church starting to realise that actually they should embrace and in fact celebrate the differences and diversity amongst the followers of Jesus. Up to this point, there's only one person recorded in the Bible, or at least in Acts anyway, who's definitely not a Jew who has, be who has been saved, an Ethiopian eunuch who the Holy Spirit led Philip to share the gospel with. And it's, whilst it's true that um, the disciples had been to Samaria, as we heard last week that Charlie was talking about, and just beforehand, actually the chances were that everyone who was saved there was a Jew. Um, Samaria was the capital of Israel, which was one of the two Jewish nations back in the Old Testament. And... If you follow the story through the Old Testament, you'll find that Israel was the kingdom that really obviously turned away from God. They were like worshipping like idols, this here, there and everywhere and so on. Whereas Judah, at least the other kingdom, at least pretended to keep on following God. So the disciples had been to Samaria, to Samaria and had realised that it was okay for there to be diversity in how closely you'd been following God and the Jewish customs recently. But apart from Philip, they weren't necessarily so much on board with the whole like ethnic and cultural diversity thing. But why was this? Why did the Jewish Christians think this way? Well, it was mainly because they basically, at the time, and this is... It sounds a bit harsh, but it is true. They hated the Gentiles, the non-Jews. If you like your Shakespeare, anyone here a fan? Uh, only Charlie. Oh, a few of you. Okay. Well, um, Romeo and Juliet, do you know the Montagues and the Capulets are at each other's throats all the time? It's a bit like that, the Jews and the Gentiles. Or if you prefer football, nobody here is a fan, are they? No. Well, for Sean's benefit, if you've heard of the rivalry between Chelsea and Arsenal, it's a bit like that. They don't like each other at all. Another way to put it, and I'm sorry, RT, in advance, <laughs> you could think of the Jews a bit like the Scottish people. <laughs> and I'll try and explain. <laughs> Just don't tell Graham, okay, please? Yeah. <laughs> um, so the Scots have been ruled over by the English for a long time. 
they fairly well integrated with society generally, but they like to wear funny clothes and go to strange <laughs> ceremonies every now and then that nobody else quite understands. And every now and then they'll go on about some battle that they won mm. thousands or hundreds of years ago. And if something goes wrong, they absolutely will definitely blame it on the bloody English. And, okay, yeah, you all know this is a parody, right? And that isn't really what Scottish people are like. And I'm sorry, Graham, if you do listen to this. <laughs> but it helps you get a bit of the idea of how the Jews felt. And now that we've got a bit of the background, let's read on a bit further in Acts 10 and see what happens next. So I need two more volunteers. We're going to split the next bit in half. Artie, do you want to read yeah. for me from verse 9 to 23? Yeah. And then, Nathan, can you read from 24 up to 33? Thank you. Chapter 10 chapter still. 10, Uh, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three, this happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the was sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you are looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man, who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him, told him to have you come to his house, so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Thank you. Oh, uh, the next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And the, on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate them with, with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call, upon, call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent me me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms 
have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the area of in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Thank you. So what on earth is going on here? Has anyone got any ideas why Peter had a vision about four-footed animals, reptiles and birds? Bit of a random thing. something to add to that okay yeah that's really good and in fact those were all things that the Jews were forbidden to eat in the law so as you said it's a metaphor that God was using using basically a part of the Bible that Peter would have been really familiar with they'd have been taught about all about that at the synagogues and at the temple all the time um, in order to help him understand something that he was a bit finding a bit more difficult about the people who were not Jews being clean as well. And this is the point where God helps the, um, the Christians at the time to start to understand that they should embrace and celebrate diversity in the community of those who believe in Jesus. And actually, I think God is a bit more subtly perhaps, but he's also making the point that this wasn't actually a new thing at all, but by referring back to the Jewish law, he's telling us, or he's giving a little bit of a hint that actually this was his plan all along. See, the Jews hadn't got it all wrong. I've painted a slightly bad picture about them, saying that they hate the Gentiles and so on. But it is true that God had called them to be different from the other nations around them and to keep themselves holy as his chosen people. They'd got it right that they shouldn't marry those from other nations or allow them to take part in their worship of God or get involved in worshipping the nation's other gods. And these things were all intended to, to keep them pure and holy and focused on God in relationship with him. So um, it was right that they'd understood that, they'd got it. But they'd actually misunderstood the whole reason for, well not the whole reason, but at least part of the reason why God wanted them to do that. They'd forgotten that when he first gave Moses the covenant, he said to him, that he wanted the Jews to be, well, firstly he said, the whole earth is mine, the whole earth is God's, and he wanted the Jews to be a nation of priests. And what do priests do? They help other people to draw near to God. See, God wanted the Jews 
to be different so that people would actually be attracted to them, see God's hand in their lives and come to join them as part of his people worshipping him. He didn't tell them to be different so that they could look down on everyone else. It's a bit like your parents saying, okay, you can have the latest console for Christmas, but only if you promise that you'll allow your brother or sister to play on it as well. (laughs) And you say, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Just give me the console, right? And by the time it gets to Boxing Day, you're already complaining that they don't know how to play properly and that they're spending far more time on it than they should and actually it is your present, not theirs. But the thing is, when you look at it properly, most of the games on the console are actually more fun when you play them with other people, aren't they? So actually, by like, getting rid of your brother or sister telling them to go away, you're missing out on a whole load of what's actually fun about having a console. And it's a bit the same with the Jews. They'd understood the blessing that God had given them, but they hadn't realised that the blessing is even better when it's shared around. See, the more you get rooted in God's word, the Bible, the more you will realise that the overarching story, of it's, in it is the overarching story of God's grace and mercy towards all those who come to him. And whilst it looks a bit different in the Old Testament compared to the New Testament, it's actually more a case of how he was going about achieving his goals at that particular time, rather than him changing his plans and throwing the old stuff out of the because it hadn't worked. That wasn't what he was doing. If, if we go back right to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1, you'll see that his plan for people all over the world is to be in a loving relationship with him. He says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in numbers. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. See, God God wanted people who bear his image to be everywhere, all over the earth, serving and blessing everyone and everything around them, being his representatives on the earth. And Christians, having been made fully human by Jesus' saving grace, and having been filled with his Holy Spirit, are still called to do that same thing today, to fill the earth and to bless everything around it by bearing God's image. Because God's plan didn't change when Adam and Eve sinned. He immediately told the serpent who deceived Adam and Eve that one of their descendants would bring about an end to his rule over the world. And of course, as we all know, that descendant he was talking about was Jesus. But then, Adam and Eve had lots of descendants, didn't they? So did God's plan change when he chose Abraham 
to be the start of a great nation, God's people, who would later on become to, known, to be known as the Jews? No. He promised to Abraham and then later to Isaac exactly the same thing, that they would have many descendants through whom all nations on earth will be blessed. And then later on, when God was talking to his people through the prophets, he promised salvation for the Jews, of course, but also for all people. When he said, in a, and this is from Isaiah, that foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And then we come to Jesus and the beginning of the New Testament. Jesus was clearly on board with um, God's plan and understood it completely. See, he actually quoted that prophecy from Isaiah that I just read out when he famously went and cleared the temple courts in Jerusalem and accused them of turning his father's house into a den of robbers. And at the end of um, Matthew, when Jesus has been crucified and risen back to life, and has been telling his disciples what to do next in what we call the Great Commission. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And then, so we've seen that this was God's plan at the beginning of the Bible. We've seen that it's God's plan through the Bible. If you to, were to look in Revelation, the very last book in the Bible, you'll find that it's still his plan then. Because John, who wrote the book of Revelation about a vision that he had, said he saw a great multitude that no one could count from every nation tribe, people and language all standing before God and worshipping him you see, gathering people from all over the place from different cultures and different countries had always been God's plan and it's still his plan now and it will be his plan right up until the time when Jesus returns and that's why we also need to learn to embrace and celebrate the differences between other people and us, whether they are Christians or not. So now, to finish up and to find out what happens to Cornelius, would someone like to read um, the last bit, verses 34 to 48 for me? Go on then, Sean. I forgot where we are. Acts 10.
Partiality. Partiality in every nation. He accepts those who fear him and do what is right. I'm sure you have heard about the good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace. Know what happened all through Judea, beginning in Galilee. After John the Baptist began preaching, and no doubt you know that God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was Jesus Christ 
Cornelius. Cornelius asked him to stay with them for seven days. Yeah, thank you. So finally, Peter has got it that it isn't where you're born or the culture that you grew up with that determines whether you can become a Christian or not. Anyone who hears the good news about Jesus and believes with faith will be saved. Yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Heard the quiet like, woo. <laughs> but do you remember I asked you at the beginning if you thought Cornelius was a Christian yet or not, right? Well, I don't think he was at the beginning of this story, but I do think that he was by the end of it. And does anyone want to uh, suggest why we can be sure? Any ideas? Um, because it says, can anyone keep these people from being baptised with water? So were they being baptised? Uh, that's a good idea, yeah. But um, why, why did Peter say that? Um. I don't know. I can't find okay, well don't worry, that's fine. I think, well, the reason is that um, Peter and the other disciples saw that they were filled by the Holy Spirit. And for the um, Christians back then, that was the sign that they used to distinguish between Christians and non-Christians. Have you been filled by the Holy Spirit? And that's what finally convinced them that Gentiles could be Christians too because they saw that they had been filled by the Spirit. Because, and the clue's a little bit in the name, he's called the Holy Spirit, therefore he can't fill anyone who is unholy, right? And the only way that we can be made holy is through Jesus forgiving our sins and cleansing us with his blood. So, in the minds of the early disciples, that was the way you could tell someone had accepted that salvation, was that then the Holy Spirit saw you as an acceptable um, temple to live in. And that is still true today. You see, getting rooted in the Holy Spirit is how we become Christians in the first place. And growing those roots deeper is the way in which those who are already Christians get closer to God. And it's by discerning that others are also rooted in the Holy Spirit that we're able to recognise our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. No matter how different from us they might be, 
no matter whether they look different or act different, if they have the Spirit, then we can be sure. And then we can embrace them and celebrate God's love for th with them, despite our differences, can't we? So, as I've just been showing you, God helped Peter and the early Christians to understand the truth that still holds today, that we should embrace and celebrate the differences between us and others. In doing this, he, en he actually enabled them to be more rooted in community. And he did it in a way that was rooted in his word, as well as rooted in the spirit as well. But what can we take away from this? Why do you think that Luke thought that this was um, you know, an event that was worth recording? I'm sure lots of cool stuff happened back in those days. Why did he choose this to write down, do you think? Yeah, that's probably pretty certain that God did, yeah. But why do you think God told him to? <laughs> well, I think <laughs> it's because Luke realised that it wasn't just the early Christians that were going to make mistakes like this, but actually people all throughout the ages until Jesus returns are quite likely to make the mistake that if people are different from us then that must be bad and if you if like me you've ever looked at someone at church and wondered what are you doing here <laughs> or been to another church perhaps and just thought what are you guys doing you're just getting it all wrong then perhaps you've made a similar mistake too. If you do go to church, how often do you talk to someone of a different age from you? And I don't just mean asking the helpers if there's any chocolate biscuits left. <laughs> but no, <laughs> no discrimination there. But a, re a real conversation. And... Maybe now is the time to be a bit more deliberate about seeking out people who are different from you and taking the time to get to know them a bit better. Now, you might think, yeah, I've heard you guys say that before. This is just something the impact leaders like to bang on about every now and then, that we should get more involved in church. And you're right, we do like to bang on about it. But actually, if you were, on, if you were in church on Sunday... You'd have heard Dale say exactly the same thing to everyone there, right? And the reason that he's doing that is because it's important. It's important for everyone. And part of the reason that it's important is, pro is because God has promised that he's going to bring people who are different from us into our church. And we believe he's going to do it soon. If you remember, Claudine brought a prophecy back in the spring which said that God is going to bring some people into our church who act very differently from us. 
and are in real need. People like drug addicts and ex-prisoners and so on. And they'll make us feel uncomfortable because of their differences to us. Especially if we're not used to seeing God's love for everyone. No matter how different they are from us. And especially if we're not used to embracing and celebrating the differences between people. So... Um, in a few Sundays' time, I think, Quincy or maybe someone else is going to be talking about how we can prepare to love others who are different from us. And I'm hoping that they'll go into some real practicalities about it. And so I would ask you, if you're able to make it along to those talks, that you would pay real attention to that. And indeed, to the rest of the Be Prepared series. When is that? Um, well, I'm not sure of the exact timings, and so that's why I'm saying it might be Quincy, it might not. But I d what I do know is that you can listen to it online if you've missed it. So, um, yeah, really, I think those will be really helpful for us as well. It's not just for the adults, but for everyone. And see, if you've put your faith in Jesus, then what this series is about is for you because you are just as capable as anyone else in the church of loving and blessing others in, and growing the community as well and in fact I would hazard a guess that you're actually likely to be better at it than most other people in the church because you won't have years and years of habits that you'll have to break because you're getting into it right from the start and that would be fantastic and you guys are lucky enough to have been brought up in a culture nowadays which is much more accepting of the differences between people than even I was even though I'm only a couple of years I mean decades <laughs> older than you So, just to round off, I would urge you to continue to be rooted in the Word, rooted in the Spirit, and rooted in community. And through those things, to embrace and celebrate the differences in God's church and in the people that he is bringing into it.